Thank you, Jonathan. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to be with you. I'm Robbie, one of the teaching pastors here. If you would, turn in your copy of Scripture with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're at the very end of our brief series in this chapter, thinking about a few weeks have been as edifying and encouraging to you as they have been to me. I love this chapter. I love to think about what the Bible tells us about our life together. So we will end this series in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 27. Hear the word of the Lord to us, his people. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, our key truth, what I'm hoping we walk away with this morning from these words is this. God graciously equips us to worship him in joy and love through the gifts of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me say that one more time. God graciously equips us to worship him in joy and love through the gifts of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want you to know, as I was thinking about this key truth during this week, it's not just an ethereal, abstract uh, statement. For me, I really have experienced this at Christ Community Church from you all. You all have helped me to be equipped to worship the Lord in joy and truth. And there are so many things that run into my mind as I think about that, but there's one example that I've been thinking about a lot. I think I've mentioned this before in at least a couple of the small groups. Uh, One of you in particular, I won't say who because I don't want to embarrass you, but it was back during the COVID days when we were all at RTS, and it was during that particular stretch when we were doing three services on a typical Sunday. And there was one Sunday, kind of in the middle of all that, when I'd been there since the first service, and it was coming up in the third service, and confessionally, I didn't want to be there anymore. I wanted to go home. It was a, it was a long day. But then, and, and that, I was convicted about that. I knew, Lord, this is not the attitude I want to have about worship. But confessionally, that's just where I was. But then, when the worship started, there was somebody in the front row. And we began to sing the first song. And there was the, just for whatever reason, they were just so uh, in love with what the Lord had done. And was re- preaching to his people, through, even through that song, the biggest smile on their face. And I looked over, and it was like that. The Spirit used it to draw my own heart back into worship, to remember, the Lord is good. The Lord is so faithful to his people, and it is such a privilege to come into his presence and to hear from him. That totally changed my attitude. And then there have been, over the years, many things just like that. And so you all have equipped me to worship the Lord in joy and in truth and lovingly, and then to use that even more for service throughout the rest of the week. And I'm sure you all have stories in a similar way. The way that we worship together really does impact our attitude, our motivation, the way that we come into this place with joy and festivity. These things really make a great deal of difference. And of course, it reminds us that worship doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not just a solitary thing that each of us does in the corner of our own private hearts. No, worship grows out of the divine invitation that we have all received from God to his gathered people. So so worship is built up and matured in each of us through the ministry of one another as together we grow in the knowledge that God gives us through the work of the Holy Spirit, particularly as that is discerned or discovered in community. 
And so over these few weeks, we've seen the necessity of community, that it's grounded in the the nature of the triune God, God as fellowship, in the fellowship of the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so that from eternity past, God designed, God designed that we would participate in fellowship with him, and he designed the church to sort of hold up a mirror to the world and even to the angels of what God is like. So that we together, in our life together, get to mirror the fellowship that God has always enjoyed from eternity past with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we've said that life with God just is life in community. And so as we conclude our series this morning, let's see from these final verses uh, in this chapter two doctrinal points that I want us to see, and then we'll conclude with a brief word of application. But the first doctrinal point that I think it's important for us to see is just simply the restatement of verse 27. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, you may be saying, okay, Paul, yes, yes, you got through just saying that in the first 26 verses. We've got it. And I think Paul would say to that, yes, yes, I don't want to belabor the point, but I do want to be sure that I make the point as just as clearly as I possibly can. We need to be sure that we've got this. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you're the body of Christ, meaning within the community that God has called us to, the triune God is at work. God is at work in our community. God is our Father. Jesus is our King and our Lord. The Holy Spirit is our Comforter. God, the one God, fellowships with us in Trinity, and we are called to interact with him relationally, expressed in obedience, in love, and in faith. Therefore, God gives us gifts. Now, gifts, as Paul conceives of, them, conceives of them in this chapter, they're not just passive things, they're the way that we typically think of gifts, things like a car or a house or a fine set of clothes or money or things like that. They're not just passive things. They're not just commodities, which we get to use. They're even more profoundly active things, the abilities and the opportunities that God gives each of us to glorify him and serve one another in joy for the life of the world. And that is why in the New Testament, the list of gifts that we could mention are virtually endless. You know, there's various lists of gifts that are spelled out, and each list varies somewhat from the others. So these lists are not meant to be exhaustive. It's not like we're supposed to open up our Bibles and, you know, take out a pen and say, all right, let me circle the gift that I've got. That's not what Paul means here. They're not meant to be exhaustive. They're meant to illustrate the huge diversity of gifts that God delights to give to you and to me, to the individual members of his church for the common good. Now remember that that God is a fountain of life, an infinite, eternal, unchanging fountain of light and love and goodness. He he expresses all of his holy perfection and and all the attributes of his perfection in his self-consistent desire and purpose and plan to glorify himself in service by drawing us into that very life, that life that can never be diminished. And therefore, the Father glorifies himself by lovingly and joyfully giving his son for the life of the world. And the son, for his part, glorifies the father and glorifies himself by lovingly and joyfully giving away his life for the life of the world. And the Holy Spirit glorifies himself and glorifies the father and glorifies the son by lovingly giving himself in gift for the church. And and, and so you see that the triune God draws us into this fellowship, and in the nature of all of this, at the heart of all of this, it's all about serving. In our sin, we reject this. We we, we think that, and and sometimes we can think this is the worst thing we've ever heard in our lives, that it's all about serving. (laughs) 
but, but, but so it is. That, that God would, would put at the very center of creation this whole desire to, get, to receive the gifts that we've been given so that we can give away these things for the life of the world. But, but in our sin, instead of serving, we, we think about what we can get. We, we, we often think that life is zero sum. So, you know, the, the, instead of being a, a, a never-ending fountain of joy and goodness, we try to get our own. We try to get things that we can, we can secure in our own time. We, we worry that life is quickly getting swallowed up and, and taken by other people that we're missing out. And then Jesus comes, and we hear him say, I am the Son of Man. I am humanity personified. If you want to know what a human is supposed to be like, look to me. And what did he say? I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of my Father. I came not to be served, but to serve, to give away my life as a ransom for many. And then it begins to dawn on us that we're not given gifts so that we can have more power to get what we can in a zero-sum, commodifying, self-gratifying, self-seeking death of the present world. No, which is all passing away. We're given gifts so that we can see that serving is what it's all about. And aha, now we begin to see why it is the particular joy of the Holy Spirit as he begins to apply salvation to us, to each of us individually, as he begins to redeem our stories and our personalities and our temperaments and to renew our thinking. Now we see why it is his special joy in the application of our redemption to give us gifts so that we can join in this dance that we can join in this divine life, that we can join our Heavenly Father in giving away our life for the life of the world. And so it's all about serving. And this serving is not a burdensome thing. It's not a life-destroying thing. It's at the very center of reality. It's at the very center of our joy and our life in God, in Christ. And when we begin to do that, we begin to live out the reality of who and whose we are in Christ in such a deep and profound and interconnected way that Paul says it's like all the parts of a human body working together for the good of that body. It's like all the deep interconnection that we expect in our bodies, and that's what it's like in the church. And this means that for all of us, all of us who are in Christ and who belong to his people, we are both needed and we need the gifts of others in order to see the full flourishing of God's purposes in joy for the life of the world. God has given you gifts, and that makes you necessary to the unfolding of his purposes in this world. You're not necessary because without you, God is less powerful. You're not necessary because without you, God is less fulfilled or he's lonely or lacking in some way. No, you're necessary because, precisely because God is so full of light and love and life Precisely because out of the fullness of the Father's love and out of the fullness of his life, he draws you into that so that you have a part to play in his divine plan for the life of the world, so that you get to join him in giving away the gifts that you've received for others. And you get to receive from that the same light and love and life that the Father has within himself. This is a wonderful, joyful reality. And I so love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it in his little book, Life Together. You see this in the bulletin there. This is a wonderful thing just to be reminded of and encouraged of often. He says, Christian community is not an ideal which we must realize. Hear that again. This is important. Christian community is not an ideal which we must realize. We're not striving to build something that doesn't already exist. No, it's a gift we've been given. Christian community is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality. 
created by God in Christ, in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all of our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. And of course, dear friends, you know this from experience. The, the more you think that you have to earn God's favor or to earn his grace or to earn his love, the less, in fact, you're motivated to do it. Because you see how empty in and of yourself you are to do any of these things. And in the same way, the more you think it's up to you to build community in your own strength, the more you think it's up to you to create an environment of welcoming, the more you think it's up to you to create all the good things that are necessary to really hold up accurately this mirror to the world of what the Father is like in triunity, in the fellowship of the, of the divine life, the more we will see our inability in and of ourselves to do these things and we'll be very discouraged. But the more we remember just what 1 Corinthians 12 teaches us, that these things are given to us as great gift, precisely because of who and whose we are, the more we shall be hopeful, the more we shall lean into these things, the more we shall realize, as Cameron often says, we're playing with house money. So we're given great freedom to love one another well. We're given great freedom to take risks or risk as they might seem to us, to love people that may be very different from us. The more we'll be given great freedom to use our gifts lavishly in love because we're not trying to hold our own. We're not trying to create our own little empires. No, we're re receiving the gift that God has given us and we're turning that back upon one another in great love for each other. So that's the first point to see from these verses. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If that's the only thing that we hear from these three weeks, I think it'll be well worth our remembrance. So the Spirit would continue to work this conviction deep among us. But see too, second point, God has appointed in the church various kinds of ministry to give life to this reality. God has appointed in the church various kinds of ministry to give life to this reality. Hear how Paul puts it, beginning in verse 28. God has appointed in the church first apostles, and second prophets, <clears throat> excuse me, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now he follows that up with a few questions, and we're expected to supply the answer. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. But there is great diversity. So first notice the fairly obvious point in these verses that no one believer has all the spiritual gifts that are necessary for the edification of the body of Christ. None of us has all the spiritual gifts within ourselves that are necessary for the full flourishing of the body of Christ. So no one has the right to expect that over time they will be given all the spiritual gifts that are necessary even for their own sanctification and full flourishing in the things of God. That is no promise that Jesus makes. So the person who is waiting for Jesus to make them the one-stop shop for insight and goodness and sanctification, they're waiting in vain for something that is never going to come. And notice also the related point that no one spiritual gift is common to all believers. It's not as if there's one set of gifts that we might imagine is the core of spiritual gifting, and that we all can expect that eventually we will acquire that? No. The thing that we all share in common is the Holy Spirit. And it's in that unity that Christ, applied by the Spirit, is the ground of our common life together. 
And so this means that we will continue to go on needing one another. If you and I, if we're waiting around for the the Spirit to fill us up with an inventory of skill sets so that we can move on from the body of Christ, we're waiting in vain for something that is never going to happen. Spiritual gifts are not techniques that are acquired by human effort for our solitary use. No, instead, they're appointed by God for ongoing relationship with him and with his church. I think so often we can, maybe we don't think this at the level of conscious thought, or we don't express it in so many words, but often we can view spiritual gifts as merely technique. And because we're good Americans and we have that sort of can-do attitude, we begin to think, all right, well, you know, if I just become wise enough or, you know, if I just invest enough time, eventually I'm going to build up a skill set so that I can kind of move on from these folks. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be good. But that is no promise that Jesus makes. No one spiritual gift is common to all believers. So we will continue to need one another. And that is a great gift to us. We might not hear it in that spirit initially, but we begin to realize the way in which not only does the church hold up a mirror to the world and to the angels about what God is like, it also holds up a mirror about what God is like to each of us. So that we need the gifts of one another to hold fast to Jesus, to hear as truly loving all that he speaks to us, to see as, in true, as truly encouraging all the promises that he makes to us. So these are not solitary gifts. They're given for ongoing relationship with God and with his people. Now, you may notice that there's a kind of curious way that Paul sets up this last listing of gifts in verse 28. There's a first, a second, and a third. First apostles, second prophets, and third teachers. And then after that, you'll notice that the gifts are not given numerically, but they're listed one after another. And you'll notice that the first and second and third gifts are not really gifts per se. They're properly speaking offices, or we might say positions in the church. Paul doesn't say apostleship, but apostles. Not prophecy, but prophets. Not teaching, but teachers. But then all the gifts that he lists after that are gifts, properly speaking. So many people have been puzzled by this. What, What does Paul mean in putting things in this way? Well, the first thing that might come into our minds about what Paul means is exactly what he does not mean. And that is that these gifts, or the people who have these gifts, or offices, or positions, are more important or more necessary than other members of the body of Christ. And the first reason, of course, that we know that that is not what Paul means is because if it was what he meant, then, of course, he'd be negating everything he's just got through saying. He's just been telling the Corinthians, you have been given gifts all together so that each of you have equal concern one for another. So if he suddenly were to say, well, then, of course, but there are these three offices that, you know, they're kind of a special place for Christians. They're kind of a first-class Christian. He would be negating everything that he's just said. So that's not what he means. And the second reason, of course, we know that this is not what he means is if it was what he meant, then it would confirm rather than correct the Corinthians in their false belief that, at least to a certain extent, certain extraordinary gifts especially gifts that put people in a public way before the congregation, were to be esteemed and honored above other gifts. But that's the very attitude that Paul is aiming to correct in this chapter. So once we begin to remember those facts, I think it helps us to see what Paul is getting at. Paul, or really more accurately, the Holy Spirit, wants us to see that there are indeed some gifts, or really there are a few positions or offices in the church through which gifts are exercised, that serve as the foundation from which God-honoring ministry within the body can be built up. And it is just in the fact that these offices are there for the purpose of building up ministry, exercised through the gifts of each other, 
each of the members of the body, for the body of Christ, it is just in that reason that it is foolish to think of these offices or platforms, uh, offices as platforms for a one-man show or as somehow more important than the rest of the gifts. That's the very error the Corinthians were tempted to fall into, and it's an error we can sometimes fall into today as well. So if I could be permitted to shift the analogy a little bit, it's as if to say, in the same way that a house needs a foundation for all the walls to stand on, so that a house needs walls to make it truly a home. And you wouldn't say merely the, the presence of a foundation made a house a home. You'd say there needs to be some walls here. So now, I, I know that we're skipping over a lot of debate over the nature and the continuing relevance of, of some of these gifts anyway, the apostleship and, and prophecy and so on and so forth, and just what all that Paul means by teachers. Now, if you want to delve into that conversation more deeply, I'm happy to discuss that with you all, but, but that's really for another time. But for our purposes now, it's enough to see what everyone agrees Paul is definitely saying, and that is, to, Paul is definitely saying to the Corinthians and also to us, and that is, you do need pastors. You do. The church needs pastors. And therefore, the way that God has set up his church is to give certain offices or positions that he does not give to everyone. All of us have been given gifts. All of us have been given gifts. And we are all necessary to the full flourishing of the purposes of God in this community, in this area, in this state, and in the whole world. But not all of us have been given offices. Not all of us have been given distinct positions in the church. But those who have been given offices have been given them so that they can equip the whole body to do what it's supposed to do. And if you doubt that that's what Paul means, I invite you to remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3. I won't read it just now, but I want you to know that it is one of the most fundamental and most beautiful depictions of how Paul thought of his particular office as an apostle. And really, one of the most beautiful descriptions of the purposes of the church in the story of history. And there Paul says that he was given his ministry, his, uh, his particular apostleship, his particular office. He was given that so that he could preach to the Gentiles. And remember, he says he was given that ministry even though he's the least of all the saints. But he was given that so that he could preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So as to bring to light the wonderful mystery in God's plan that through the church, and hear this, the, through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, Paul is saying, I was given my apostleship, I was given this particular office so that the world and all the angels, when they look and they, they're looking for a depiction of what God is like, they look at the church and they don't see apostles, they don't see prophets, they don't even see pastors or elders or deacons, they see the church, they see you. This is a thrilling thought, and sometimes I think we are not sufficiently attuned to the grandeur of what God has invited us into. You do realize that Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 11, and we skip over this chapter or this part because sometimes we're like, what does that mean? Because it's just sort of a throwaway line. He says, remember to do this because of the angels. And we're like, angels? There's angels here? And I think Paul would say, well, don't get so wrapped up in that because remember, God is with you, which is even more fundamental than that. But don't forget that when God delights to show the world and all the rulers in heavenly places, all the angels, what he is like, he says, look at my people. When, when God desires to rebuke Satan in all of his pomp and arrogance, all of his rebellion, he says, look at my people, look at my servant Job. 
So, so even now, when, when God desires to reveal to a world that is lost in sin and brokenness, that is filled to the brim with rebellion, when God desires to show the grandeur of his grace and all of his mercy, he says, look at my people. And he has given offices in the church, but not so those people can be the public platform or the face of the church. Not so that God says, when you want to know what God is all like, look at Robbie or Cameron or Matt or look at the elders or the deacons. No, he says, look at Christ Community Church. And, and so God has given certain positions, Paul is saying, but he's given those positions so that all these gifts that he begins to list, and even more, all the plenary gifts that we've been given together as a body can be exhibited in the church for the life of the world. So the whole universe can get a show that we can hold up a mirror to the whole world and say, this is what our gracious Father is like in love and generosity in patience and long-suffering and forbearance, in all the ways in which he is so good, he is so good to us. That's one reason I'm so glad that, uh, in our church anyway, we don't call pastors priests, because you are priests. That's what God calls you in 1 Peter 2, 9. He says you are priests, so you are the ones who mediate, in a sense, between the world and God. You show the world what God is like. But pastors are shepherds, and shepherds are there for the sheep, when you think of a, a flock, you don't think of the shepherd mainly. You, may, you might think of the shepherd, but the, you will always know that the main point of that flock is the sheep. And so shepherds are there to help the sheep to be all that sheep are supposed to be, to help us to follow Jesus and to live out before the world our gifts. So brothers and sisters, th- this is an awesome reality. And its, more, its glory is more fully appreciated or will be more fully appreciated by us when we add to this the knowledge that not only are, are you needed in the church, but that you need others in the church. You need their insight. You need their wisdom. You need their help. You need their counsel. You need their rebuke. You need their encouragement. You need their patience. You need their hope. You need their faith. You need their love. So yes, Corinthians, yes, Christ Community Church, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. In other words, earnestly desire to receive whatever the Lord may give you so that you can be a part of edifying the whole body earnestly desire all the Lord may give you. You earnestly desire to use all the gifts the Lord may give you to build up the whole body. And then, of course, I will show you a still more excellent way. And then, of course, we're off into chapter 13, that magnificent and beautiful chapter in which Paul reminds us, these things finally will remain. After all the gifts that we've been given will pass away, these three things will remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But, of course, we realize even before we get to chapter 13 that Paul and, and the Holy Spirit, they've been preparing us to see this truth all along. And hence the words of verse 26, the, in many ways the lodestar of this chapter. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And, of course, you'll notice that's just a riff on Romans 12, the, the parallel passage to this passage here. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those, weep with those who weep. Here's the thing that's so critical to our growth together. Here's the thing that's so critical to our growth in festivity, even as we think about this over the coming year. Here's the thing that's so critical for our ability to come into this place on Sunday mornings with true joy in our hearts. We've got to be people who rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And notice, it's not evaluate ahead of time to see whether or not the things we're supposed to rejoice over or weep over are really worth our time. Whether weeping or rejoicing is really warranted by an objective look at the facts in this circumstance. No, <laughs> not, not at all. 
No, it is that we get firm in our hearts and our minds ahead of time just who and whose we are and who and whose our brothers and sisters are. So take seriously how Paul sets up chapter 13. Of course, we're not going into that chapter, but take seriously why he says, still I will show you a more excellent way. Because a failure to take seriously the concerns of our brothers and sisters in Christ is not a mark of wisdom or discernment. It's not. A failure to take seriously the concerns of our brothers and sisters in Christ just because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ is a failure of wisdom and discernment. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, if you fail to see the body of Christ, to discern the body of Christ, you're inviting God's judgment upon yourselves. So see the body of Christ. And, 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 and Paul, the reason why he goes in such a rush into, into chapter 13 and all of its glorious words about love is to remind us love is nothing. Love is nothing if it can't weep with someone who's weeping and rejoice with someone who is rejoicing. Now, of course, some of us, we're, we're, we're there in our minds already, so let me just say, this does not mean we're all equally sanctified in the present time or that we're all equally mature. Does it mean that sometimes loving correction or rebuke is necessary? It doesn't mean that we are not required to guard the good deposit that we've been given to correct false teaching, to call out when necessary sinful motivations or immature behavior. But it is to say that all these things and all gifting and all technical know-how and all ability and skill is a curse in disguise when it does not serve love. And love is nothing when it cannot weep and rejoice with a brother and sister in Christ just because of who they are, of who and whose they are, and who and whose we are. Because they are our brother and our sister in Christ. And so I'm persuaded that the more we really believe this and the more we live into this truth, the more festive our time together in worship will really be. Because we'll, able, we'll be able to see and look around and see that person in the row ahead of us smiling. And it'll encourage us and remind us God loves them and God loves me too. God's at work in their life and God's at work in my life too. It's one of the reasons I think why David, you ever notice this in the Psalms? that David can't seem to make up his mind when he's writing psalms whether he wants to say, praise the Lord, and also look at what God has done for his people. And I think that's because God's people, at the end of the day, they recognize there is an inseparable connection between our lifting of our voices in praise to God and our remembering all the glorious things he's done, not just in our lives and not just in our stories, but in the stories of all of us together. And I think just by the way, I'll just say this as an aside, I think the more we lean into this truth, the less dramatic our denominational differences would seem to us, whether intra-denominational or denominational across the board. That's a sermon for another time. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, we need to lean into the truth that God has called all of us together. And the more we're able to see the ways in which he is at work in his church to draw us together, to give us gifts that we need for the life of the world, the more glorious his name will appear to us and the more festive we will be in worship. And so I think that's a, a fitting way for us to end our time in this chapter, to remember that God calls us to equip one another in love and joy so that we can enter into worship with him for the life of the world. So by way of application, let me ask you these two questions, and then we'll close. First question is, in what ways has your participation in worship been affected by others at Christ Community Church? In what ways has your participation in worship been affected by others at Christ Community Church? Sometimes you may be like me in this. I'm sure you are in some ways. Some, 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 days, some Sundays you wake up and you think, Man, I, I wish I'd done a better job preparing for Sunday morning worship this week. I, I'm feeling really 
just not ready. But then you come into worship, and it might be a conversation that you have or just a laugh that you share with someone, and it totally changes your perspective. And then it encourages you, or it ought to encourage you, to seek out ahead of time, even before Sunday rolls around, those same encouragements in, that, in those brothers and sisters so that when Sunday comes, you have more reason to come before the Lord in joy and to lift up his name in praise. And so think about that diligently. In what ways has your, participa- your participation in worship been affected by others in this church? And then also, in what ways can you use your gifts and receive the gifts of others to help our church family grow in festivity on Sunday mornings? Let's not think about this goal that we have about growing in festivity and worship as merely something that is coming from the top. So we're just kind of just waiting for you know, whoever's preaching or those who are singing or the, the worship team to, to make us all automatically joyful. Let's not think of it that way. Let's instead realize each of us has a part to play in this, given the gifts that we have, given all that God has done to redeem our stories and all the reason that we have to lift up his name in praise. Let's think about the ways that we can use our individual gifts to help our church grow in festivity on Sunday mornings. So as you think about these things and as you discuss them later and uh, with others in the, in the week, let me just give you uh, a final word of application. But first, let me couch it with a word of thanks. Thank you. Genuinely, thank you from me. Thank you. You all make it easy to live out this truth. You make it easy to walk in community. You make it easy to love God's church. You make it easy to serve. And I'm so profoundly grateful uh, for the ways in which you have so wonderfully ministered to me and to each other. It is such an encouraging and wonderful thing to see. And, and so now for the word of application. It's just this. Persevere. Don't give up. For as long as our good and sovereign Heavenly Father has you to be here at Christ Community Church, he's given you, uh, he's, he's given you to us because you're needed. You're needed here. We need you. So continue to exercise your gifts. Continue to seek still higher gifts for the good of the body. Continue to encourage one another. Continue to love one another. Continue to bear with one another. Continue to be patient with one another. Continue to try to understand one another. Continue to love one another. Because we know God graciously equips us to worship him in joy and in love through the gifts of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful that you have called us together as your people. Lord, we're grateful for this church, for Christ Community Church. Lord, we're grateful for all the people that you have drawn into this fellowship. Lord, we give you thanks that you have given each of us gifts. Lord, we give you thanks for the diversity of all of our stories, for the diversity of our personalities and for our temperaments and and all the glorious and wonderful ways in which you continue to redeem those things. You continue to give us opportunities to tell those stories, to encourage one another. Lord, help us not to give up. Lord, help us to remember who and whose we are. Help us to walk with the deep conviction that we are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Help us to live in this reality, Lord, by using our gifts to build one another up in hope and in love and in faith. Lord, help us not to despise one another. Help us not to uh, judge one another. Help us not to be jealous of one another. Help us not to see certain gifts as giving others more prominence that perhaps we are desirous of. No, Lord, instead help us to see that all of us need one another, that we have gifts that are needed and we need others. And so, Lord, help us to continue to lean into these things. Help us to be people who grow in our festivity in Sunday morning worship, who grow in our expressions of joy and in love to you just because of all that you are doing in the midst of us. 
Help us to remember that we have great confidence and great hope. Though all the world may seem to be shattering around us and being cast into the sea, yet you will continue to sustain us. You will continue to be with us. You will continue to hold up us as your beloved people as a mirror of your great love and the infinite life that you delight to share with us in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.